So, um, so there it's we go. It's late there. It's about ten o'clock now, right? It's ten, but it's okay. It's not super late. I mean, um, I've been doing like uh, it's actually working hard. So I've been doing calls super early to speak to U.S. folks, and then like uh, late calls to do British. Um, so it's like, oh my god, it's actually hard work being on, you know, being inside the world. Yeah. Um, it's anyway, it's Friday night your time, so you know, you got place. Indeed. Um, so welcome everybody to Brain Food Live on Air, bringing it to you every Friday, no fail. Uh, and I'm super excited to be speaking with you today because we're talking about a topic which I think we should all be interested about. Um, uh, this is, we're already in the AI era, everybody. Um, and I don't know a single recruiter or a single business uh, that has recruiters um, that is not interested in hiring for AI expertise. Um, so I'm not just talking about some dude who's, you know, played around in ChatGBT and knows a few things about prompt engineering. No, I'm talking about research scientists, data engineers, uh, people who basically are building and training these models. Because if you're an enterprise level business, chances are you are training your own models. Um, if you are even a smaller business, chances are you need someone with that type of skill set to start AI enabling the rest of the stuff that you're doing. Um, and we also know not only has the demand for this skill set shot through the roof, um, but it's also one of these genuinely candidate short marketplaces. Um, we know, for instance, a lot of the times, you know, we have candidate short market and people say, actually, no, it's because you're paying too little or, you know, no, because you're, you, you know, you're prejudiced against X, Y and Z people. In AI, it's actually a fact. We have a massive shortage globally. Um, and it's also very hard to produce these skills because they have to go through um, a long period of academic training to actually pop out of it, um, which, you know, uh, Christine, because you, you've been recruiting these uh, PhD types, haven't you? So, um, yeah. yeah, really, really difficult. So anyway, we're talking about this today. So this is the show that you're interested in. Uh, welcome. You're in the right place. If not, just hang around anyway, because it's going to be super entertaining. Um, okay, um, let's go into a quick, uh, I've just done a monologue, so I hope you've heard all of that. Um, the sound checks, everybody. Um, just checking in. Did you hear everything I just saw? Uh, I just spoke about, or, or, or just hear my mouth move? Let me know if you can hear me on Crowdcast um, and also on LinkedIn. Uh, we should be broadcasting this in multiple places. Uh, so if you heard my monologue and you're able to see uh, and and here, me and Christine, let me know in the chat. All good. Fantastic stuff. Okay, listen, I've talked enough. Christine, um, welcome. Great to see you again. Good to see you. Good to see you. Um, Chinese New Year next week, so looking forward to that. I know. What you, you know, it's so cold in Hong Kong. It's like going to drop to like 10 degrees C. Yeah. It's um, in London, I heard. What's the what's what's the London temperature uh, next week? Well, I think it's about twelve. But the thing about Hong Kong, it's like it's not built for insulation, right? It's built for the summer, so it's actually colder out there. Tell me, my my, we've actually that uh, thermometer tested my mum's house, and it's definitely colder than outside. <laughs> like it's literally you're, you're out refrigerated, in the areas, aren't you? So you're by the yeah. you're by the like. Yeah, it's in the mountains, more or less. Um, but anyway, I'm actually going to be in Vietnam for Chinese New Year. Oh, um, nice. Or Lunar New Year, if you prefer. Um, even though, but, but the only reason why I'm going is purely for the weather. Um, because I, I recognize it was going to be cold here and I just had no time for it. Um, so I'm going to go to Ho Chi Minh uh, City. I know that's guaranteed hotter weather. I'm just going to sit there yeah. and do some work. So um, yeah. Yeah, that's where I'm going to be. 
Anyway, um, let's get on with this. Um, we should, oh, we should bring, we should thank our sponsors every single week, folks. Um, Brave Food Live has been sponsored, um, and 2024 is no different. And there's one company that's really just amazingly stepped up because they've just said, Hong, we were going to sponsor as many of these in Q1 as we can, and is otter.com, uh, one of the premier uh, technology uh, hiring platforms that you can find in the UK and beyond. Um, they've been hiring. Sorry, they've been sponsoring Brain Food over the last couple of weeks. They've been fantastic. Um, and, uh, and yeah, why don't I bring uh, sort of Finn on, on, on screen and he can tell us all about it. Um, let me just see if I can find him. Um, uh, there he is. Yeah. Finn. He get away with being like kind of, kind of unusual name. Christine, why are you not like properly bioed up on this? I mean, I, you know what? I could drop it in. I know. Um, so funnily enough with Otter, I actually made one hire of Otter um, last year. And one of Finn's colleagues very kindly reached out to me on Tuesday saying, hey, let's have a look at your analytics. And then Finn then messaged me yesterday saying, hey, I know you're on brain food. I'm like, your guy got in front of you earlier this week. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> stop selling stop selling to our guests and co-host uh, finn you know you leave that leave that till later um anyway finn wonderful Hi, to see you, man. great to see Likewise. you guys why don't you thank you for having me back on no no you're always welcome man tell us a little bit who thank are you. you tell us a bit about otter what who should care about it go ahead man yeah by all means um hi everyone my name is finley clark i'm the vp of commercial at otter everyone calls me finn um, so what we've been doing at Otter for the last five years is making job search a whole lot less soul crushing. And we've really set out to build a platform that helps people get into tech and have better, more fulfilling careers. So for candidates, we take jobs and we just recommend the ones that are right for you based on lots of different factors. Take the quiz, sign up if you're looking for work. We've got a lot of talent and recruitment roles as well. But the, the, the key difference of what we do is we matchmake candidates and companies and we give candidates all the information about your business not just your job but what makes you unique your culture we really help great candidates discover great companies so they make fewer but better quality applications which is what you want because recruitment is so noisy at the moment so we are currently at 1.7 million users across the globe that's across uk usa and into europe and we help companies big and small we don't just do startups we don't just do tech companies. It is actually GSK, the Financial Times, as well as tech companies like Checkout, Octopus Energy. So we really do help loads and loads, thousands of companies help hire. So just my last thing for you to say, Hung, today, because we're going to talk about machine learning, is that I had a quick look at our platform today. So as of the 2nd of February 2024, if you're watching this back, we've got 17,000 active data scientists. 13,000 active data engineers and 9,200 machine learning engineers. That's global, they're active. We add 60,000 candidates a month at the moment. So if you want help attracting this in-demand talent, um, just let me know in the comments and I'll connect you with someone in my team. All right. Sounds amazing, man. Listen, and Finn, I'm going to try and bring you back later into the show as well, because I've asked you to do a bit of research on the topic of how to hire for AI. Um, we know you have a body of candidates and a talent pool there, but I'd be interested to know, you know which companies have been most effective doing it. How, how do they go about it? Which companies like fail to get any uh, interaction and why is that? So we'll bring you back um, after we have a chat with our recruiters. Perfect. Uh, so hang around on the show. But thank you very much, Finn. Wonderful to see you. Otter.com. Check it out, folks. Thanks, Finn.
Bye for now. Cool. Yeah, I mean, look at look, look at the compliments you're getting on the chat there, Christine. Christine would make a regular substitute. Yeah, it, Adam's cheaper. Yeah, Adam's cheaper. That's, that's all I can say. Um, all right, we've got to review the newsletter. Christine, yeah. did you read it? Tell me you did. Okay, great. Yeah, I did. Um, I did. I did. Religiously. <laughs> what was interesting? What was interesting for you last week? It was. Uh, I mean, like, obviously, on the topic of AI, like you got to go through the Accenture's work and work, work workforce and workers, the triple W. Um, it was so long, though. You got to say. <laughs> um, but some of the key things, obviously, on a people side, I really like how they talked about. You know, ultimately, the technology depends on the people that use it, right? So it depends on the leaders having the knowledge and the understanding um, to then shape the future. And they talk a lot about like human-centered design and how to scale responsibly, et cetera, et cetera. But then later on, they then have a metric that says, whilst 95% of employees they surveyed see the value of working with it, their concern is trusting the organization to ensure positive outcomes. So it's interesting that they tied a lot of leaders need to know how to use it responsibly, but at the same time, employees are not really trusting the organizations, or at least leaves the organization to do that. So, you know, how do you find a happy medium with that? Was one thing I kind of took away. Yeah, it's a really interesting report, very digestible. So, so they're making mm -hmm. these reports quite uh, accessible, I think, um, and it's worth worth chewing over. But I, it was definitely one of the, the the themes that we get. There's that kind of three audiences. There's the yeah. CEOs have one particular perspective on AI. Then the employees have another, um, and the perception of the employees as to you know whether the the, the CEOs know what they're doing is like yeah. there's a big gap there. Um, so so that is something obviously that needs to be needs to be backfilled. Lack of leadership, um, and I think broadly it's because a lot of the um, use of AI is still at individual experimental level. You know we're, we're kind of doing it on our own with with non in a non directed way. Because uh, yeah. we found it's actually useful. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. interesting report to read. Right? Like, so, you know, it, yeah, how, how transparent are they with how they're rolling out these tools? What are you using it for? You know, mm -hmm. yeah, I think it comes back to culture, regardless of what technology they're going to use. Is yeah, yeah. But I think it's also, like, exceeding culture, isn't it? Because AI has occurred without anybody even knowing about it. Well, let's roll it back. Generative AI kind of just went, washed over us. Uh, with, with no 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 company had pre prepared for this whatsoever, mm. um, and then suddenly I think we we're kind of like being overwhelmed by all of this innovation that's happening yeah. outside of the walls of the business, and we haven't even thought about how to handle it. Um, mm. I think twenty twenty four will be the year we'll get a grip to it, though. There's going to be mm -hmm. some very interesting sort of companies that say, "Look, this is how we've done it," and those case yeah. studies hopefully will start uh, you know providing a benchmark for other people to figure it out. Okay, cool. Give us something else, uh, Christine. Um, haven't actually read an HBR article in a while. So that was a good read. Um, it was that inequality of who gets to work from home um, mm. study that they did. So what they did was this, um, they train an LLM to replicate all this different um, job descriptions. So they sampled like I think 10,000 job descriptions and then applied it to millions of job postings to see what the disparity was between like salary um, and like education of people who get to work from home. So I think what they found was uh, remote work is really rare for people on the front line. So 
jobs um, up to about 30,000, this is US dollars, um, usually, yeah, you know, they've got to commute to work, operate machinery, um, reading or what are facilities, F&B, for example, versus 30% of jobs that pay over 200,000 US dollars are usually activities like data analysis, reports, computers, so jobs that can be done remotely. So it kind of begs the question, again, there's such a big gap um, of inequality, which is what they're highlighting, you know, the us versus them. Right. So like, how do you bridge that gap? How do you align working arrangements to avoid you know, unfairness in the organization? So that's, yeah, quite an interesting stat there. Did you see even pre-generative AI, there was a really interesting case in, I don't know what's happened to this, this company, but um, uh, there was a Japanese company that used um, like a telepresence pro product mm. uh, for old age pensioners that were retired, um, but they were doing the customer service on retail. Wow. So you would go to a supermarket. Um, yeah. You'd be greeted by this a person, uh, an yeah. old lady or an old man on a screen, and they would just yeah, be yeah. the service person. Because that's we amazing. Would and I think yeah, that's, that's a great idea. Yeah. But it's not, not really AI because it's, you know, it's a human it's being on the side person, of it. Yeah. But you're also employing an older person. They're also working remote. Uh, they're engaging with people. All people, I mean, again, I'm going to put a stereotype here. I'm sorry to say, but all people really love to engage because, you yeah. know, they, they can be very lonely. Um, yeah. And that's what you want for customer service. You don't want someone yeah. just rushing away, doesn't have time for you. Doing it. So what's happened to that idea? That's a brilliant idea. Yeah, but anyway, you're, you're absolutely spot on. Is yeah. working from home, is it just a middle class perk? You know, is it just yeah. like the height of privilege, um, you know, that we're all demanding, uh, uh, you know, our, our home comforts when in mm. fact a lot of have to you know physically get out there or come rain or shine um so so yeah there we go um all people steve i i mean anybody i mean I, i'm an old person obviously but I, I would mean in this particular case someone who's just literally retired in a retirement home um so yeah. uh, and would otherwise not be able to go into a, a office job or a field job uh, they have to be remote but they're not particularly good at computers either you know they're literally that they're, they're, they would otherwise be locked out of the marketplace mm. but put them on a telepresence thing and it kind of works um okay um give us one more christine before we get into this so i know you were there yesterday or the day before you were were you looking at some ev manufacturing fact um factory right so huawei's tiktok account that i thought was oh yeah Two things, because A, uh, the fact they're live streaming it, B, you get to see all the sales that they're making, which is a very kind of native thing that they do in China. So separately, I don't know if you saw this lady in Douyin, apparently earned like 13.7 yeah, yeah, million. Great. Oh my god, it's like three seconds thing. But then in parallel, back of obviously into automation of um you know work and jobs. Did you hear this robotic startup called Figure did a commercial agreement with BMW um over in like South Carolina? So they got like these humanoid robots um in manufacturing facilities that are automating all the difficult and unsafe and tedious manufacturing mm. tasks. So that I thought was an interesting parallel with what you shared. Um but well, you know what? That that video is just one of many that are coming out everywhere across the world where you see r robots essentially taking over yeah. exactly the frontline work we we're talking about. So 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 we're kind of human beings are kind of I wouldn't say trapped because in reality releasing our uh, sort of getting machines to do the work for us should be a good thing. Um, mm. uh, but um, the, the knowledge workers are getting eaten by AI, obviously, and and uh, blue collar workers are getting eaten by the robots um and so thank you oh yeah I, I was gonna say thank you christine for sharing that and you actually shared it i thought it was another christine this is why you need to put your picture onto the multiple um, it could be the robot christine 
It could be a robot, Christine. There we go. Anyway, it's a fascinating video. And I, I, I t the reason why I did put it in, because it was exactly this. It was not only a live stream of automation, but it was actually they were selling stuff, um, mm. which we haven't seen live Neither. streaming sales quite come over to the rest of the world. It's very Asian, but I yeah. think it will. I mean, um, basically, um, it, it's very compelling when you see an influencer say, hey, I've just unboxed this. Mm. Yeah, and we see a few of those guys in YouTube that basically, you know, will sell, you know, six million units if they endorse something. So, um, so yeah, it's really quite interesting. All right, cool. Let's get into the conversation. Christine, you are here not only because of your capabilities as co-host, but also uh, because you know something about the topic, right? I mean, not maybe for AI per se, but the hiring people that are coming from academia or hiring people mm -hmm. that are you know, not active on LinkedIn. They're not, you know, they're not behaving like the people that we typically recruit. Um, yeah. What have you found when you're hiring for these, you know, highly educated, typically academic types? Um, what's your experience so far and how you go about doing that? Yeah, look, I'm really looking forward to hearing what the what everyone has to share today because I'm still very new to it. Um, but yeah, I think our, what we're hiring for is so niche. They're like a combination of physicists and electronics engineers. There's only very few quantum groups out there. There's only a handful around the world. So it, it's a very kind of small talent pool. Um, so I think what I've learned several things uh, is, you know, you got to start from the grassroots level. So we're actually starting to do a lot of university outreach, um, you know, actually getting to know all the professors as well and saying, who are the strongest, like top, you know, 5% within, within your department. Um, doing more talks and at the same time um like random things like google scholar is something i've actually never done before so you're actually like setting alerts um into google scholar so you can track um all those people as they're writing papers because there's one thing about people being in that department but are they producing anything of value it's also another thing that we look at um and yeah what else have i learned in the process obviously network the power of network they go to very specific conferences um there's only like two or three big quantum conferences globally so we get our people out there to speak versus sponsoring. Um, that's another thing. We like if you sponsor something, people could just be like, yeah, it's just some random company's logo. But if you speak and you share something of value, that's when people come to you. So it's like a really interesting exchange. You can't, employer brand can only take you so far, but you actually have to that your group actually has to come up with really sufficient work to attract that top tier talent to then apply to you as well. Do you know what? You just sparked an idea for a future brain food live there. Like, what are the limitations to EB? Because um, we know it's important, but there is a point, um, certainly with a certain demographic, where EB is less relevant. And, and I yeah. wonder whether that's particularly the case with people that are working in this type of field, where mm -hmm. you know perhaps the problem set is the thing that that really is the thing that's switching them on, rather than as you yeah. say, the, the commercialization of it, which may not exactly. be, you know, uh, I mean, again, today, obviously, I'm coming out with sweeping generalizations everywhere. But I, I assume someone who's gone down the track of academia in the first place probably isn't massively motivated from a commercial nope. side anyway. Um, nope. So you, you need to have a different kind of thinking about how to interact with these people. Yeah, exactly. Um, industry versus research so the whole goal is how do you attract people from research to move into industry i.e working with us versus people who are in industry might want to go back to research and go do a postdoc or a phd or a postdoc so you're always kind of flirting in between industry and research um so it's a really interesting kind of gray area that we're operating in between like how do you incentivize people to come and still do research but actually produce something of value and commercialize it versus purely just being research right well, there's the thing, isn't it? It's like, um, can you basically um, 
yeah, can you provide compelling sort of work? I think is a big part of it. Um, mm. uh, uh, and maybe EV goes back into it at some point. Like, can you also, you know, guarantee certain ethics, let's say, or whatever it is that that that, um, or can you have some sort of defined policy? Um, which will switch people on or off depending on whether they, they're, they're bothered about it. Um, okay, let's bring on our guests. Um, um, they will have their own views on this. We're going to bring on Eve. Uh, we're going to bring on uh, John and also Leslie's joining us here as well. If he's here. I don't know whether he is, but let's try. Uh, oh, there he is. Oh, my God. This is very meta. <laughs> This is this is too much, man. Like, can, can I remove one hard. of you? Okay, I'm gonna get remove one of you. Okay. Oh, like oh, both got remove both of them. You got wow, me though. Never yes. I've got John Rose though. John Rose is the only person we care about. Um, but John, um, that's great. We've got Leslie coming as well. Um, I'm gonna bring Eve back on. Because hey, I folks. believe that um, that must just be a weird thing. Okay, whilst whilst we're trying, uh, you know, get the single Eve back, uh, let's go to uh, to you first, John. Can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? John Rose. I work for Volvo Cars out of Sweden, out of Gothenburg. I'm a global talent sourcer with a global remit. So I work in wherever they need uh, specialists help in finding the right people. Fantastic stuff and wonderful to see you, um, uh, John. It's been a little while, which is, uh, you know, way too long as usual. We have Leslie as well. Leslie, great to see you, sir. Can you quickly introduce yourself for you? What it is you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, hello, folks. So um, I'm a recruiter turned to the HR side, I think, about uh, six, seven years ago. Uh, now founded my own company, which is called the People Lab, where I help uh, startups in AI, blockchain, and fintech to develop their HR function. Fantastic um, stuff. Yeah. And Leslie is a guy basically has got some, uh, I mean, he, 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 one of the guys that should be on stage a lot more than he is. He's got some wonderful sort of insight into um, uh, some really uh, sophisticated recruiting techniques. So wonderful to get you here, uh, Leslie. Um, and we have... Appreciate you, it. As, uh, no, no, this is my little uh, sort of hint that you should be less lazy and get on stage a bit more, mate. Um, but um, <laughs> there's Eve as well. Wonderful to see Eve. Good, great to see you, mate. Only one of you. Um, <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for having me. So my name is Eve Gein. I also run my own uh, recruiting shop called Maven. Uh, I've been in the leadership hiring space for quite a while. Uh, I've hired chief architects at Facebook, I've hired main data scientists for machine learning out of McKinsey, those type of roles and the equivalent, uh, whether it be senior people leadership or senior IC technical leadership. And now I'm here. Stuff. Yeah, and Eve is another guy who needs to be on stage a bit more. But I'll, I'll, I'll well, I'll, I'll get off this, uh, get off this soapbox uh, uh, rather rapidly because we've got to get on with the show. Okay, the topic is how do we hire for AI? Uh, kind of open question, really. I mean. Is it particularly different from hiring for like any other quote unquote technical role? Um, and if so, like what are the differences? Let's be you know, broad strokes on this to begin with. Go ahead, I'm Leslie. Happy to open. Oh. No, go ahead, Eve. You go, you go. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of a difference between your traditional landscape of a sweet environment, right? The fundamentals of software engineering is what you need, just like the foundations of a house. I'm a, I actually recently purchased a new house and we're remodeling it, so it's a nice analogy. But when you want to drive business insights on top of that, there's a whole separate layer 
that you're building on top of uh, of your suite infrastructure, <coughs> ranging from all of your data sources and a data engineering team and wrangling that data, the various different inputs of data, and creating a, a data lake, for instance, of uh, 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 of an ability to draw features from, and you slowly get into the data science phase where people actually work together with each other. If we know where the data is and how to read that data, what could potentially be data features, stuff to zoom in on to build a potential algorithm around. And once you have uh, an idea of what features you want to uh, turn into an algorithm, you start working on those, you put them into production infrastructure again. And that's usually where you see data scientists work with machine learning engineers a whole lot better. And depending on the size of a company and the way they're analytics environment is set up, those can be interchangeable to a certain degree, but there's a difference between the underlying software engineering fundamentals and all the data logic that you build on top of that. So, so does anyone understand what you just said there? Um, let me know in the comments. <laughs> yeah, you know your stuff, that's good. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm an engineer. Kind of hanging yeah, on, yeah, you know, hanging on with my fingernails in terms of my understanding. But but from what I get from this is basically obviously software is a is a base layer, maybe a base layer below that, maybe electrical engineer or whatever. But most of the products we do and the hardware is bought in. Uh, but software you build that, and then on top of the software we have an entire kind of can you call it an infrastructure, a data infrastructure, shall we say? But a kind of something sitting on top um, of the the software from which you have specialisms that interact with each other. And I guess one of the lessons that I'm taking away from this is that you kind of got to know the domain um, it, it, specifically. You can't just think software is translates naturally to this, even though there's a lot of flow into the talent in certain areas, but you got to understand how these pieces move <laughs> together. Otherwise, I imagine your credibility um, is, is, is going to be, um, yeah, you're going to be in, in, in some, some difficulty there. Yeah, and the amount of different data sources maybe might help people who uh, start with hiring into this space, right? Uh, if you're a software company with a lot of identifiable users and every bit of data goes in a database uh, with structured data, with rows and columns, which is very easy to draw uh, data from and basically create a model on top of it. What if you're dealing with healthcare data of handwritten notes by doctors which needs to be analyzed by the millions or traffic violations again handwritten stuff when data becomes semi-unstructured or heavily unstructured that's when a lot of the machine or the the data science rhetoric around what model should you put into production becomes a whole lot more complex also so there's an element of what data sources are you using in the first place and you could easily read up into what a company might be doing in the first place and then from there, there's a whole another step on top of it of, so what are you trying to draw insights from and what type of models would it support? Okay, so translate this into recruiting problems then. Um, uh, Leslie, like how does all this translate into what a recruiter should be doing um, in order to, to, to you know, take the steps towards being an effective recruiter for these types of skills? Yeah. Yeah, so first of all, also compliments to you, Eve. Uh, that's actually very impressive. Uh, and I think you nailed it. Um, look, I think like how it um, structures in some of the challenges, at least that I've seen, uh, you know, during my time at Meta and also at Booking.com is that, um, is that, uh, you know, if you do hire, you know, candidates <clears> or talent into more, you know, commercial functions is, uh, is indeed that they sometimes, uh, uh, you know, miss skills, right. Also to be, um, you know, to be productive in a more commercial environment. Right. So of coding, for example, or, you know, understanding, um, you know, the larger context, uh, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, stakeholders and whatnot. 
Um, right. So my personal experience with, um, you know, hiring for AI was, you know, basically when I set up the, the, uh, you know, the meta office here in Zurich and, um, we, we basically acquired the, um, a research team from the ETH, mm -hmm. uh, which was actually building computer vision for the Oculus. And um, one of the problems actually that we saw is that they were incredibly good in research, but they were actually not so good in, you know, building relationships with other teams, you know, within the company itself. And within Meta, obviously, it's a big organization and you really need to lobby also for funding and whatnot. And so one of the challenges that I also saw is that, you know, you cannot just have a group of, you know, researchers working together and then just leave them to it, right? So, you know, there need to be perhaps also researchers, right, that have a better understanding of how to build a business or that have that sort of entrepreneurial mindset. And uh, so that's something, at least, uh, you know, during my time, uh, you know, at Meta, we screened actually, you know, very heavily uh, for, right? So how do you resolve conflicts? How do you, um, you know, work together with, you know, POs if you've never worked with POs before? Um, so, you know, that was one of the challenges. I think uh, there are also challenges, right, on the, like on the supply side of, of the market as well. I think there are, you know, many researchers that would like to publish, you know, papers, for example, and within a lot of commercial organizations, this is not always, you know, possible. Um, whenever a person set a foot in, into our office, uh, you would need to sign an NDA. We had to, you know, close down the shutters basically. Right. So having, you know, somebody coming in and, you know, writing a paper uh, about the products or about the models that you're building was, you know, was not very common. But we've learned also that we're losing talent because there were folks that found, you know, publishing research so important that it was a reason for them to move to Disney instead of to Meta instead or to move to Microsoft right into Meta instead. So I think, um, you know, actually going back to what Christine said in the beginning, you know, creating an environment that is, you know, receptive, I think, for some of the things that researchers are really looking for, um, you know, looks actually pretty deep. Um, and I think you would need to accommodate for this, at least in, you know, in some form. So that's a challenge. That's Maybe to add so, to this, though. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. I do think there's a kind of a similarity within software engineering, right, where you see deep infrastructure related engineers who are less product or end user focused and will value different things. I think those two things can coexist. Uh, you can have product oriented software engineers uh, who put, let's say, research more from a POC level per se, maybe uh, rather than super deep research, but they want to put stuff into production, have it run, get data on it and understand what users are actively doing with it. The same that you sort of see in the uh, analytics space as well, where there's deep research focused data scientists or data engineers or machine learning scientists who want to stick on the research side, do publish a lot of papers. And that's also a way of building their credibility, but they are in fact a yeah. research scientist. And there's the other variety of people who want to put something into a production environment and actually learns, learn insights on how would this work about in real life. And you could yeah. interest one in the role of the other, but there seem to be more hardcore underlies there of people who really want to stick to research and they'll never consider moving into a production type of uh, role, if you will. Yeah, that's very true. Like for us, uh, we just started building our intelligent automation capability, our machine learning team. But the core first two engineers, we call them research software engineers because they're still really embedded on the research side. And as a recent, we've actually transitioned and called our software engineers quantum software engineers. So we're trying to distinguish between the research part and, like you mentioned, to the production part. Because the reality is there's two very different profiles. Um, so they, I'll be keen to hear yeah, later on as well, 
keen to hear from John, um, you know, how do you then you know, build the culture as, as we grow? You know, we're so really small. So I don't want to have a, a research versus an industry um, type profile because that's what's slowly going to happen, right? Um, so I'd be keen to hear how, how you grew your teams and, and how the culture, how you, how you retain the culture as you grow. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's a brilliant point because there is two elements that most recruiters don't realize. There's the research element and component, which is a different mindset, different motivation, different drivers. Then there's the productive mindset. And back in 2017, when I first got thrown at uh, deep learning, machine learning, computer vision, and the use of, of intelligence analysis to, to, to work on that, someone said, who should you talk to? Who should I talk to? So I said, let me speak to Jeffrey Hinton. Uh, in, in University of Toronto and Google. So I just sent him a message. I said, can I buy you a coffee for 30 minutes at the U of T when I'm there next week? And he said, yes. And I got 30 minutes to sit down with the godfather, you know, of deep learning, machine learning. And I said, what is the difference between theoretical scientists and real scientists, deliverers? And he said, one's a lighthouse in a desert, bright at times, but of little use to humanity. <laughs> and the other ones are the captains of a ship. Very important because they've got to get from A to B without crashing into things. And I thought, yeah, that's quite good. And when I started then researching and trying to recruit, and unfortunately I was working with a team from India that helped us to source 2,436 machine learning, deep learning, computer vision, PhDs in North America. 94% of them were researchers. They'd never done a bit of real work in their life and taken it from theoretical application mm -hmm. into productive usefulness and going through. And the, the company I was working with wanted real people. So we, we had to structure how we interviewed them, how we questioned them on what have you made work from the research you've done? What have been your results? And I think as recruiters, you do that every time of what does your stakeholder really want the person to do? And, and we know AI, <clears throat> and we use generative AI, is a, is a common thing nowadays that everyone talks about. But it's been around 30 years, but it's only just come to the surface because a lot of it has been research. There's all these, these, these teradatas of, of data that's all shitty, dirty, horrible, structured databases, unstructured databases, filing cabinets pockets of scientists walking around in the lab coats, whatever else. So all this information <clears throat> and the, the, the data scientists that companies want that are going to produce something, they've got to be able to produce something. Mm. You've got to be prepared to clean data, find the data, clean it, get it structured, get it into the LLMs, get it into the GANs, get it there somewhere where they can then say, Okay, now what are we trying to do? What are we trying to get? And I think that's where the next big development is, is taking it into the real world, not into the theoretical research world. Thank you very much for that um, uh, wonderful monologue. I, I, a great story, wasn't it? Lighthouse in a desert. Are you a lighthouse in a desert, folks? Um, very bright, but bloody useless. And amazing that you met with Jeffrey Hinton. For the folks who don't know, obviously, just do a quick Google on the guy. But, um, but yeah, he clearly made um, a, a globally significant contribution to, uh, to humanity with his, uh, his, his, his input to date. Um, 
what I'm learning from you guys is, is this. Um, so firstly, um, uh, academic mindset is quite prevalent. So in other words, the, the, the they've gone to academia. We can actually expect that. That's not a negative thing. Uh, but we're trying to identify those that have the motivation and capability and desire to move into um, a commercial environment or something outside of academia. It could be public sector. It's still you know more productive, should, so to say, than pure theoretical work. Um, and uh, one question I've got to all of you uh, guys is, is it possible to, to assess this without speaking to the person? Like, it, can, I, can I identify on a resume whatever uh, a research science resume looks like? So I'm presuming it looks differently from what I'm used to. Can I look at that and think, yes, this person has evidence uh, that they can be productive? Or is it actually more of a mentality thing? I can't see it from the thing that they've put is a document. I've actually got to do the interview and ask the questions as, as you demonstrate. Thoughts on this? Open open to everyone on that. On that. I'm happy to <clears throat> contribute a little bit. I mean, there'll be early tell signs of people who are really heavily involved in research simply by the amount of research papers uh, and references that and citations that they'll bring up early on in a resume. I think you'll always have to engage in conversation. Once you've uh, figured out the easy Telta uh, signs like these, I think it's still important to have a conversation and have a set out idea. It goes for any role that you're hiring for, by the way, to make sure you maintain the same singular bar when you interview the same subcategory of people to ask questions on how to put something into production. Do they understand the domain that they're working on? Why are you trying to solve something? And as generative AI and various forms of AI become more and more accessible, you see that more and more different people from different educational backgrounds, financial fields, for instance, as well, all these people will be drawn into this um, AI field as well. And some of these people are actually very good at uh, understanding a domain that they're solving a problem for. And sometimes that's super helpful uh, interview uh, uh, questions that you can ask on why are they doing something? What is the problem that they're trying to solve? Can they relate to the actual end user uh, that they're solving problems for? And that could be a really big help in distincting, can somebody function in a production environment, yes or no? And that broadens up your market as well of potential candidates, because there's a lot of people in quantitative finance or in other elements that are uh, other uh, industries that are super good for the field of data science or, or, or alike that maybe previously have been ignored because they fell into the bucket of finance. Well, hold up a minute. There's some very good time there as well, just as a, an example. No, I mean, two great points there. First one, interesting one. So you're saying, if I understood you correctly, that if the person is very heavily using citations on their resume um, and banging on about research papers, I don't know, as just a, as, as a broad stroke, and it's not everyone, but we can kind of guess, maybe they're more of the research mentality. Um, it, it could be a hint. It could be a hint. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's yeah. nodding their heads there. Really, really yeah. interesting. Yeah. I can link, link, yeah, linking on to that as well. Um, I was at an Adam Grant talk the other day and he talked about the curse of knowledge, right? And I think that's very prevalent in our area because there's such subject matter expertise. Like me as a recruiter, when I'm interviewing them, they're giving me like a whole monologue about quantum mechanics and photonics and laser. I'm like, I am not your audience here, right? So a question I always ask is, you know, how would you relay your research to like a five-year-old, right? So it's actually how do they boil it down to really basic um, principles, right? Because I think as Leslie was saying, they got to work with other different commercial stakeholders. No one's going to know what they're talking about. So I find that very simple question. Like, Tell me what your research is in a really simple term. And layman terms um, always helps as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a very 
Yeah, so sorry, there's something to add there. I think it's a very good point, Christine, because for any recruiter in this uh, conversation or who looks back at this and is trying to hire for uh, ML engineers and data scientists, what you see a lot happening is, especially if you don't know a lot about the domain itself yet, and now you're tasked with hiring them, is you yeah. can over-engineer an approach for getting a certain result and 100 exit, you can go overboard completely. So what often helps when I screen, when I, when I interview folks is to ask, but why have you used this model? Can you explain to me why this was, because trust me, a lot of solving in this space can be a regression, can be a classification, but everybody wants to, I'm gonna use it, Joel Sporsky, jump on the hype train and go for a deep, uh, deep learning neural network. Well, that is completely over-engineering it. So it might sound like hot stuff when you speak to somebody, but alternatively, I could go walk away from that conversation going, well, that was great for you personally, but did your employer, you know, was that an efficient solving of the problem at hand? Probably not. Yeah, and I think that's a great way to try and get to that understanding. So what I'm hearing from a bunch of you here is that actually these these types of candidates are, are quite keen to talk about their domain. They're, they're passionate about it. That you know, this is not a casual thing. Um, therefore, if you're asking open questions, which is something we should be mm -hmm. good at, you should be able to spark them to have the the, the, the dialogue. You don't have to you know try and be a de I mean, you know, yeah, by having dialogue with these people, you will be able to uh, accumulate information and and uh, improve your own domain knowledge. But you don't have to pretend um, that you know more. Than otherwise folks we're going to keep there's a couple more questions i want to I'm gonna keep it's a brilliant conversation but we always have like a mini break in the middle of every brain food live and the reason for this is because we know that we have to come off air in due course we don't want that to happen without people being able to continue the conversation and the way we do that of course is to make sure you're all connected with it with each other uh, that are watching this show presumably everyone watching this show is interested in hiring for ai therefore it will be uh, the, the network that you build by connecting with each other will give you the opportunity to continue the conversation when we have to come off air. So take a moment, grab your LinkedIn URL, share it in the chat stream, and then make sure you connect to everyone who's done the same. If you're watching this on any of these LinkedIn's that, that are out there, I think Leslie, you're, 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 you're live streaming this. I'm doing the same. Christine, you better be. Um, and uh, yeah, if you're watching this in all those places, just, just connect with everyone, do the same. Put your link into the comment thread and connect away. You should walk away with like 50 people that care about hiring for AI. It's going to make you better at hiring for AI. Guess what? Um, okay, cool. A um, couple of questions. John Rose, how do we find these people? I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, man. I ain't finding any of these ML people. Like, what do I do? Oh, shit, no. If they're on LinkedIn, it's because some poor recruiter or smucker told them to get on there and do it. The reality is... A lot of them, Christine mentioned it, you know, you've got Google Scholar, you've got Kaggle, you've got campuses. Go find out which universities have got programs that are working in, you know, in deep areas of deep learning, machine learning, computer vision. You look at the, um, the Times top 100 universities. Uh, that's a great place to start. Look at uh, the different campuses. Find, find someone in your company, your organization, who is went to university and got a PhD or a, a, a double masters and, and maybe software engineer and then got into quantitative uh, analysis and then find out which campuses and universities they go to. And that's where you go and find the people. You look at alumni lists then of these places. You look at alumni of Meta. Who worked at Meta that was in, you know, deep learning, machine learning, do some keywords. And if you just put it into 
Bard or Google or your Bing or any any search engines, you or any of those, it gives you names. So that's a starting point, and you start capturing that data, and you start mapping where these people are and who they are and how to do what companies job ads. What companies are looking for them? That's a very good starting point because that gives you an idea of who might already have them or who's looking for more people. Very, very good. So I think we can accept that LinkedIn, they're probably not very active on LinkedIn, I would guess, um, simply because coming from academic space, um, LinkedIn is pretty commercial. Um, in fact, LinkedIn is not only pretty commercial, it's pretty private sector as well. If you look at the public sector, I don't see like too much activity from public sector either. I don't see any activity from academia per se, uh, even though they may have um a, a profile app, or typically I see it being like super sparse, like they've, they've literally put the basic um, bits of information to, to pass the field and they've not you know, branded anything. So it may not be the optimal place to look, but there's other places. And again, we're talking about universities. Leslie Kibbett, is there a list of these universities? Like, I mean, everyone, pro problem we have is that obviously every academic institution is now saying, of course, we train people in all of this. So suddenly we kind of lose a, a, a bit of dilution in terms of where the, the real strengths are. Are you able to nominate a few uh, universities that you can say, you know what, this is actually a really strong department. You know, there's some super uh, capable uh, uh, lecturers and, 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 uh, and departmental heads in, in, in these types of institutions. Yeah, I mean, you need to forgive me that I don't know the name of these professors, um, but, um, um, you know, what we generally did is that indeed we focused on, let's say, you know, the top 10 or top 20, you know, universities that we found interesting. Um, obviously, if you're a company like Meta, right, you have way more resources to divide your time in, you know, what is more suitable for, um, you know, for PhD or for postdoc or even for postdocs that have industry experience, because I don't think that we touched on that in the previous question. Uh, it gets easier, right, when um, you have um, folks that work within AI, but that have already gathered, uh, you know, industry experience. The, you know, the number two here in Zurich, uh, you know, built Google here, that's, uh, that's actually a AI engineer, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know, now he works for the game that make Pokemon Go. I forgot how that was called. But it's, these are also the things basically that make sense to connect with, right, like these type of folks. Um, and they can often also lead you to um, maybe, uh, you know, undervalued uh, uh, parts of certain faculties. Um, I think another uh, way, you know, also, also to add on to what John said is, um, is actually conferences, right? Uh, I think specifically this field is one of the few fields <laughs> I think that these conferences make a lot of sense. Um, so I think what could help is that if you make a tier list, right, of what are the tier one, you know, conferences that you would like to go to and what are the tier two sort of conferences that you would like to go to, if you can talk to them, if it's possible. But I think what's probably even more important is if you can organize good side events. And that's probably also where, you know, recruiters come in, never go to a conference unprepared, which means for me, uh, that you uh, invite people to come to the conference and to, um, you know, source them, right? Like source them how you would do it for another job, but source them to come to the event and interview them at the event uh, if they're open to it. And I think this is how you can beat competition actually pretty quickly. Um, but um, 
this is, oh, this, is a, this is a cool technique. I mean, firstly, let's, if, folks, if you're a recruiter into this space, like what are the top conferences for AI people um, that you're aware of? Put them in the comment thread. Let's see if we can put together, crowdsource some, some, some conferences to attend. Uh, Leslie, you made a really interesting point, which I think is totally relevant. Every, every industry has conferences, right? Um, but I think mm -hmm. for, for, for this type of profession, that is deeply into research, the conferences are actually much, much import, more important um, than the, the big kind of piss-ups, basically, that recruiters have. I mean, recruiters yeah. are there basically to have a good time. We do a little bit of knowledge share, but let's face it, that's not, not the main reason why we're there. We're there to have a good time, make friends. Mm -hmm. But in conferences yeah. is where you start announcing papers and discoveries mm -hmm. and saying, this is what's happened. And it's like, you, you have to be there. So there are certain things. Great. Thanks, Eve. Brilliant. Leslie, putting stuff in. Folks, pay attention to this. Yes, chat thread. Um, and maybe want to add You've interrupted me and disturbed my thoughts. <laughs> I couldn't, I've now got no more, nothing more to say. So, yes, you can add something. <laughs> All right, perfect. Well, you know, if, if you're new to this, like, yes, what you need to be at conferences. We need to think about how senior of an engineer do you need? Because a lot of conferences, uh, employers will give tickets out to big conferences. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean you have the right, uh, the right data scientist. So mm -hmm. that's still rather generic. So what I did, for instance, once I joined NeurIPS for a client um, and I scraped all of the attendees of a Twitter account for everybody oh. that was uh, attached to NeurIPS. And there were thousands. And I used Phantom Buster for it. It was really easy. And I segmented everybody and then looked up who were the most senior because I was looking at rather senior hiring. The mm -hmm. most senior people in that list I isolated them and I put an approach together. So yes, you need to be at a conference, but that's still rather generic. So figure, figure out what type of roles you want to hire for. So should there be big uh, published uh, uh, papers and should you have the main people attached to the main papers or more realistically, you don't have millions to spend, but you still want to hire a good data scientist or ML engineer. Okay, but that's a completely other uh, different search, but they might all attend the same environment. So yes, be at conferences, but think about who you want to attract at that point and do your homework, as Leslie said. Come up, uh, come All up. right. So we're going to segue this into like how to behave as a recruiter in these conferences, because I think mm -hmm. it's actually quite interesting. Um, so Eve, you've, you've given a, a really good kind of, um, uh, kind of outside of the conference way of doing it. So in other words, the registrations, people are going to be logging onto Twitter. Maybe back in the day, there'll be other things that they'll, they'll be attached to uh, that they want to maybe have a, a pre-conference dialogue with people. That happens still in every industry. So uh, those people typically, if they're engaged in, in the topic, they're going to be domain uh, inhabitants, let's say. Um, and Leslie, you mentioned something really interesting is that you go into the conference. How do you behave as a recruiter? That's one of the hardest things because you're very much like the outsider in this space. And if anybody's ever been like the outsider person in a an in-group, if you've been an out-group person in an in-group situation, it's one of the highest anxiety things that you can feel because um, you're not sure whether you belong, whether you be challenged or whatever it is. But Leslie's solutions, if I, if I remember it correctly, um, you're saying like try and behave like media. So, so turn up with a mic and, and interview people. Is that is that what you meant? Or are you talking about interviewing them for, the, for a job? Because my immediate instinct is yes. No, interviewing them. camera guy in. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> Basically interviewing them for a job. Podcast, live stream. Yeah, that hasn't worked very well. But, you know, if I can give a tip, um, you know, I think the majority of of talent that you will speak to in actually whatever job, they're all very visually orientated, right? So 
if there's an opportunity for you to demo or um, you know do something in that regard, then um, then you know you know then there could be a win. So what we used to do at a lot, at, at, at a lot of these conferences is that we would bring an Oculus device. And that was the talk of the town, usually, because uh, folks wanted to see if they could actually, you know, break it or, um, you know, if they could get like nauseous, right, when they were wearing the, you know, the headset. Um, and also now with this thing from Apple coming on, I'm also pretty sure that they will use this as their, as their, uh, you know, main focus area, basically, for, you know, for EB. But like, if there's an, uh, if there's an opportunity to showcase what you are building or, you know, what you've built, you know, then that works. and. Um, uh, great, but you know, coming back to the point that I earlier said, I just think it's very important to you know prepare for conferences. I know so many companies that just you know go to conferences like without a purpose. It's like, yeah, I just want to listen to this person and that's it. And I think, like you said, there's so much you know that you can do. You can interview you know candidates at conferences. You can you know take them to conferences. Uh, you can obviously have your famous pizza days and you know whatever after a conference. Uh, but there's a lot of, you know, productive work that, you know, directly has an impact basically that you can do, you know, at a conference, but you really need to work for it and you really yeah. need to have a plan. Leslie, let me inter interrupt you as well, just a bit, because there's another point you made, um, at the, the very first comment on conferences, which I, I don't want us to miss, uh, which is think about a side event to one of these big conferences. Cause if they're like, if people have mentioned ICML, like uh, a couple of times there. So I assume it's one of the bigger ones. Um, I mean, I don't yeah. know how many people turn up, but presumably if it's an industry thing, it's going to be quite significant. Side events are just awesome for this because, you know, your company could spot, it's literally classic stuff that recruiters are great at. Go and sponsor a bar or something or go and like, you know, have a have some 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 event around the big event that people can go and network at mm -hmm. um, prior to. Um, and and that you can just capture those people coming in. And uh, the worst case, you're going to end up having a kind of a warmer way to get into the main conference by mm -hmm. because you've hosted the pre-event um and the best case you might actually have some real quality time with a bunch of people that could be legit candidates um so okay a couple of quick, quick ones advertising like does it work if i just say okay i'm sticking up on linkedin put it on indeed does that work i mean or is there any space place where if i'm spending money on an advert this will work for ml or ai people don't, don't forget, an advert's purpose is to promote the company and the fact that you're hiring uh, or you're, you're interested in people. Will it get the right people nowadays? I think there's a diminishing ROI on, on, on advertising if you're going after very specific, very niche, very unique individuals. If you're trying to do generic, yes, there's a, there's a greater you know, ROI on it. But if I'm going after... I did a data scientist two, three weeks ago, 134 applicants. I got 98 did not meet the base criteria. Mm. So your, your return, your advert, that was, and I was asked to advertise, but not to search. So I said, oh, fine, pay me just to sit here and wait, see what comes in and doing mm. it all. But it, it's very important. I did search and get some people in and did a comparison. But advertising nowadays for this type of people, unless you're very good, advertising is what Leslie does. Go to an event and, and advertise that you're there. What Eve said, get your list, advertising going to be there. Let's have a chat type of thing about careers, about opportunities, about 
you know, how how to get a better job. You know, how much All money right. are we paid? Yeah, yeah. So, so a couple of things there, John. Appreciate that overview. Advertising doesn't is not going to directly translate, let's say, into active candidates right right away. But it is not maybe a bad signal to just push into the market at quite low cost to say we're we're here. So you treat it as a marketing thing, not a recruitment yeah. marketing thing. Um, Andrea said something interesting there. Promote the project. So if you do have something interesting, it's kind of aligns to what everyone's been saying. If you've got an interesting thing you're building, which presumably you have because you're hiring these people, why don't you just use that as you you, you talk about this rather than the mike the minutiae of the job. Uh, so you're not talking about responsibilities or you know, highly hyper-defined, you know, lean into the greater vision of what it is. Um, and and there's an element where the more, I guess, the, the level of seniority will impact the effectiveness of an advert, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, if you're looking for senior, senior, the deep experts, that's that's going to be a like a, a, a headhunt. Um, okay. Very, very good. Uh, we're, we're running really close on time, so I want to keep shooting through some of these things. Oh, by the way, folks, if you've got any questions for our wonderful panel, now is the time to use the, the question function on the right-hand sidebar um, of the Crowdcast. If you're watching this on LinkedIn, just pop it into the comment thread there. Uh, we'll try and grab that question and, and feed it to the team as well. Um, at the team, I ain't paying any of these people, so it's not team, it's the, the our guests. Um, um, so um, the um, <laughs> Christine... <laughs> <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the note that she's not getting paid is literally she bounced from the call. Um, like how immediate was that? I love it. Um, all right. Um, hey, listen, I, 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 you have to admire the decisiveness of, of Christine there. Um, okay. Um, let's talk about sort of, um, so advertising was one, generally not a positive thing. I find someone on search, what is the, how do I outreach to this person? Like, what is the, is, is there a technique? Is there an approach that you think is, is suitable or, you know, uh, general thoughts? Happy to say something again. <clears throat> um, personal is obviously the one you want to go for. Uh, this market is overcooked. So there's uh, uh, many companies who either have managed many to generate companies. some funding or who are looking to, uh, create some ROI on their investment. So everybody now has a budget for hiring folks who can either wrangle data, model data, or stage a model into production, right? So you're not alone. Uh, most software companies already have the suite infrastructure, so the fundamentals, they already have teams for these people. So the market's hot. So cross-reference how you reach out to someone. Often what I do, let's say you're hiring for an IC, right? Um, a lot of these uh, libraries that people use in Python, uh, that are used in data science around me, whether it's uh, Panda, Scikit-Learn, all these famous libraries, there's a lot of people who clone a repository, work together on a new project together. You can look up who has the most traction per programming language on GitHub every month, every week, and see who is creating some meaningful inputs there. If you can follow the big technology firms who are pushing open source repositories out, so that other people can learn from them as well. That's, by the way, a tool for them to hire ICs predominantly. Um, so there's so many other angles, but you should use all these angles to gather information so that when you reach out, it's not just a generic story about, I love how you're a data scientist at company X. Ooh, I'm so personalized now. No, I think that's chewed out as well. But where you can really differentiate yourself is understanding the domain. So can I have a meaningful conversation with them as soon as they start replying? And data scientists and all these folks who have a technical background will easily shift out who is trying to have a conversation but doesn't really know and for somebody who actually understands what they're hiring for. 
So marry what you know about domain when you reach out and try and find as many meaningful sources from a domain perspective, not how many cats there are at home or all these other non-relevant things. They've seen it all. They don't care, especially when they get more senior. So you're talking about being like pretty like hyper-specific, hyper-personalized outreach, right? So we're not talking, uh, so Hung Lee style mail merge ain't going to work, right? Like... <laughs> hey, your mail, your mail merge is great, it serves a different purpose. And I think for yeah, these very specific people, yeah, super specific. Doesn't work. Uh, you know what? I think that's really pretty, I, I, I would agree that's probably the case uh, generally. I'm, I'm comfortable with this. But that obviously means investiture of time and all the rest of it. And that has to feed in to, you know, the, the expectation setting internally if, for instance, a new, if you're a recruiter watching this and you've just been landed with the role that you've never recruited for and it's an AI role, you've got to kind of understand that actually your approach to this is going to be different from some of the techniques you might be recruiting mm -hmm. in a different position. Uh, and if that requires you to ha immediately have the conversation internally to about set the right expectations for that, that's important to do because uh, you, you're not necessarily, you're not going to, it's not the same uh, uh, as recruiting for for other types of roles guys we are really running out of time so we have to keep um uh i guess we'll, we'll kind of conclude that we have some questions let's go to them real quick finn i'm going to bring you back onto the screen in a sec so don't don't go away yet uh we've got uh our, our joshi you said is money the most important one for ai candidates i think the answer is already probably no right i mean um it, it's i mean i don't want to speak for anybody per se but we, we can assume um that project was the key driving factor but Correct. We are also pulling them from the research environment. So maybe a lot of them are thinking about the mm -hmm. cash because obviously the demand is here. It's one of, presumably a rare moment in sort of uh, the labor markets where, you know, people are highly valued and, you know, they, they can make coin. I mean, how important is the money? Um, a thought on this very quick round robin, guys, We've got literally minimal time. So um, can you answer that question real quick? Yeah, money is a driver, but it's not the key driver for, for AI and for, for these type of people. Cool. Very succinct. Everyone's nodding their heads. I think that's answered. To, basically, you've got to pay the, the right rate, but it's not going to be the determining factor um, on, on these folks. Um, okay, great stuff. I think the more senior you get, like I think the more senior you, know, you get, the more these other benefits will also matter. Like I had somebody at some point that wanted to bring their dog. And if, they were not, if he wouldn't be able to bring his dog, then he wouldn't basically work for the company. And he ended up not working for the company. So right. it's, it really depends on, 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 on the person. But I do think the more senior you, know, you get, I think the more yeah. like, demanding perhaps in other spectrums it gets. It's like we bought yeah. two dogs over, one from New York, one from Sydney. So I was like, that's very much part of the package. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, for me, that's the decline of civilization right there. I mean, what the heck are we doing? No, let's... Um, let, let's not go down there. Okay, Finn, I'm bringing you back um, because I want you, uh, and I asked you to actually go back to your platform and speak to the data science team at Otto and whatever, um, just to try and find out like what exactly seems to be effective, at least on the Otto platform. Uh, uh, have you identified any trends as to what kind of you know company brand or what kind of message works, what kind of things sort of are, are, yeah. are effective uh, than average uh, there? Yeah, no problems, Hong. So yeah, we looked at three categories of jobs. So machine learning engineers, data scientists, and research engineers. And bear in mind, we've got tens of thousands of these candidates in Ottawa, and we've got thousands of jobs. So the key thing to note, number one, there is half as many candidates as there are jobs in those fields compared to the Ottawa average. 
So at the top of the show, Hung, you were talking about the supply and the demand problem. That's given you an already feel, so it's half. So the best candidates still have choice, okay? Point number two, not all jobs in AI are equal. And what I mean by that is we can tell which jobs they have very few views and yet they get applications. So the companies are doing really well. And there are other companies who their jobs just don't get applied to nearly as much. So what are those companies doing, right? That's what you kind of want to do. You, you can find people. So the first thing I would say is salaries. You just mentioned it there. But in general, you're probably going to have to pay a 40% premium. That's the rate in London, at least, for like a machine learning engineer versus, say, a full stack. So if you're looking for these people, you need to use the right benchmarking. We've got a salary benchmarking tool on Otto that you can use for free. But I think you've also got to, one, one other thing that I just think is so important when you're hiring these types of candidates is that they want to work with other great people. I, and, and this, I think, has got to be something that you try and bring out in the hiring process. So one of our customers, faculty, their business is all about AI and they are they hire so many of these great candidates from us. But one of the things that they have is they have so many of these people that are working on really interesting projects that essentially other it attracts other great AI minds. Whilst if you're the only AI or data engineer in your company, it's like sometimes the worst thing you can do is put an A player with a bunch of maybe B or C players. They're not going to want to work there. So I think you need to do a really good job of trying to drive who is the talent, what is the interesting project, and obviously how you bring that to life and how you try and recruit. Because if you can do that, you'll really separate yourself from the rest. Fantastic stuff, Finn. Um, really, really good information. Folks, thank you everyone for, for this share. I mean, this has been one of the, the, the most educational um, uh, shows we've had to date and also really good fun as well. Um, so thank you all for your, uh, for, your, for, your, for your time. It's been fantastic. But we've got to let you go because time is pressing. Uh, John Rose, great to see you, sir. I hope to see you soon. Um, uh, Leslie Kibbert, wonderful to see you. I think you're coming back, Leslie, I think next week, aren't you? Um, so Yeah, next um, week, we'll I see, yeah. We'll see you there for the uh, offboarding, how to avoid PR disasters. Um, Leslie apparently knows all about that as well. Um, so I'll see you next week, Leslie. Um, thank you, Cheers. Eve. Wonderful to see you, mate. Um, we'll actually, we're, we're in dialogue multiple times, so we'll hopefully bring you back in another time. And, um, and Finn. Uh, great to have you back also, man. Thank you so much for your input uh, before uh, and at this point as well. Great to see you, sir. Um, thank you. Great stuff. Wow, that was great. Folks, thank you so much for watching. It's been a pleasure. Um, we'll be back next week. If you like this show, by the way, follow the channel. That's, that's how you make sure you never miss a single episode. Next week, we're going to be talking about offboarding how to avoid pr disaster and offboarding we've seen obviously multiple events yeah. this year already where uh, sort of people have gone onto tiktok to record their yeah. uh, their issues yeah. linkedin has now turned into a, a canvas for complaining not complaining yeah. but you know really throwing companies under the bus so okay how do you actually avoid this behavior um what can you do about it or do we just accept that actually we can't do anything? Um, regardless of that, make sure you sign up for the show and I'll see you next week. Yeah, it was I learned I was typing notes towards the end as well, but I could talk about this all day, man. Like it's really good. That was really you know what? One thing we didn't talk about, and actually sort of you actually introduced yeah. me to this idea was was the international aspect of it because it's 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 okay. such a tight market that it is legit one of those where you you have to hire someone 
and then reload them to to to, to the office, yeah. right? There's a question I really want to ask. We didn't have time, but all three of them clearly work for really sexy like consumer brand products, right? Like Volvo mm -hmm. and Oculus and stuff. So I was going to ask, like, for those people out there who are working maybe for an unsexy B two B AIML brand working on a huge data set, how would you sell that, right? Like in a conference, it's all cool if you can bring your Oculus, but if you're I was selling like, say... backend data, like, they, like <laughs> how even like sell that hospital data, like software, whatever. But this is really important stuff, right? But how do you even do that how do you maybe that's part of the employer brand element you know what I, I think that definitely is the consumer facing stuff is just so much more powerful in person yeah. than than i went to so you you like this i actually went randomly went to a careers conference in in the hong kong exhibitions it's weird where um a couple of weeks ago i just i just i walk in to see a friend of mine and i just you yeah. walk through it and then suddenly yeah. there was this thing as obviously god's to tell me yeah i need to go in so you walk yeah. in and it Where was, was it? like, um, it was the, in, the, in the exhibition center on the harbor front. Nice, um, yeah. It's really nice. It's like an Excel experience, right? Um, but it was okay. all like kind of graduate entry and all this type of stuff. But you could tell who was attracting all of the people. It was the fire service. It was the, you know, Marine Coast Guard. It was the, the police. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I saw the Department of Education sitting there with like, yeah, oh, bless. it's so serious. Oh. But it's so hard if you're doing something that isn't, like, um, as you say, <laughs> if it's not dramatic or, you know, it doesn't involve like gadgets, yeah. how do you compete, you know? Yeah. Um, so like I was interested because I know the two guys, Maven, um, um, Leslie and Co, have, running on their own business now. So surely they would be advising companies which are not on the consumer side. So I was keen to hear. How go and speak, also go speak to them. The, the yeah, well, yeah. 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 really good, really good one, really good one. Um, so what are you doing later? Are you going for a drink now or what? No, I'm in the village, Anna. So there's no drinking going on. Um, like or something. I, like, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm literally, I'm literally uh, at least forty five minutes, no matter whatever transport away from the nearest bit of alcohol. But I, I'm not drinking alcohol anyway these days. Anyway, yeah, so no, you're not. Yeah, um, twenty four so, so hours, right? So. Just, just go have a uh, two beer. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm going to the island tomorrow because I've, I want to get up early to meet a friend of mine in um, Muiwo. Um, so I'm going to go. Nice. I love Muiwo. Like, Muiwo is all... I've got a friend who lives in Tongfuk. So once you get to Muiwo, it's like the... you got to take a bus. It's like on the other side. Yeah, because uh, so may as well, may as well, may as well be in a different country. I mean, that island <laughs> is, unless you've got a it's motorbike. Amazing. Are you going to hike? Yeah, that's the plan. So I'm going to go to okay. Discovery Bay and then walk to Muiwo. And then... Oh, wait. You're taking a ferry from DB, not from Central? I'm taking this, a ferry from Central to DB, okay. and then we're walking so, from DB to Muiwo. I think it's Central Pier 10 is the number. It's like 8 or 10. And then there's this lady on there that sells um like fish balls and stuff on that pier. And that's one of my favorite places. Man, you got to go. I, I need like, to buy those fish balls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the only... <laughs> She takes cash only. She doesn't take octopus either. So you got to pay cash. But like, it's so good. It's literally right. on the on the ferry. On, but get it's it not on ferry eight, pier eight. I think it's eight or ten, but it's one of the last oh. ones. So once you get to Central, you just walk towards the other way. But it's on eight or ten. Oh, exactly. that's fine because my my hotel's actually westish, so so eastish. Okay. So I'll walk, have to walk that way to get it. All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll see anyway. But get get the fish balls and um and the siumai and stuff. She's so good. I'll I'll, I'll I'll send you I'll send you a picture once yeah. I've succeeded in the quest. When are you back? All right. Um, March, I think. Okay. What? There's ages. Um. Yeah, I missed I Raul's birthday last week, so I got I owe oh, him one. So let's do, let's do a old street hang when you're back.
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I'm I'm kind of away loads this year, but um, but I'll be back um back in March for about a couple of days, and then okay. I got go, I got to go see Nick's in South Africa, haven't I, Nick's? Um, uh, so um, but yeah, anyway, I'll I'll, I'll definitely drop your line when I'm uh, when I'm back. Right. Okay. Cool. All right. All have right. fun out there. Take care. See you. Bye.